Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. Plus. On February 9th of 2004, 21-year-old UMass student Maura Murray drove from her dorm in Amherst, Massachusetts to the White Mountains of New Hampshire. At approximately 7.27 p.m., Maura spun out her 1996 Saturn on a hairpin turn on Route 112 in North Haverhill. There has never been a credible sighting of Maura since. Maura is 5 foot 7 inches tall. She weighs 120 pounds, and she has brown hair and hazel eyes. If you have any information regarding Mora's disappearance, please submit it to us, the Murray family at Direct at gmail.com, or the New Hampshire State Police Cold Case Unit. This is Missing Mora Murray. Welcome back to Missing Maura Murray. I'm Tim, here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? You know, I'm doing pretty well, Tim. How are you today? Good. Glad to hear. Uh, I am doing well as well, Lance. And what we have for the next two episodes of Missing Maura Murray is a it was a long one with Tara, MZ Gags. And we're going to break it up into two parts. We had Tara on a few episodes ago. She's really analytical and has saved a lot of information, screenshots, and uh, is really a great person to bounce some ideas off of. Yeah, she really is a shining example of being, a, you know, what we keep calling a responsible citizen detective, someone who is very organized with their material and someone who is respectful in, you know, the interactions that, that go on in the community here. And, uh, yeah, we she can come back on the show anytime she wants. Every time we talk to her, an hour goes by, sometimes longer. She gives us information after the interview that is uh, just as good, but it's always very useful information um, and sometimes might not be relevant to the particular topic that we're talking about during the interview, uh, which just shows, like, she doesn't 
have a tendency to veer off course. And that's the case even with her investigations. She's very detailed, very methodical, and always a delight to talk to. Yeah, just very organized. And uh, and so we talk a lot about Bill Rausch in this episode, and we kind of come up with some questions to ask Bill. And since we've recorded this, which was a few weeks ago, Bill has become more, uh, or at least appearing more helpful online in, in the hopes of tracking down his flight information for when he got emergency leave. I believe it's a DA-31 form that he is looking to try to track down. And so I wanted to say... Please do not harass him about this. He has said on Twitter just recently uh, that he will be trying to track this down. Um, if anyone has any way to track that down, you know, you could probably tweet him or you can email us so we could potentially get that over to him uh, if he's at a loss at how to do that. But I really think that's helpful. And Lance, the whole point of this is to rule him out, essentially, right? I mean, we're coming up to these questions. He's in the community. We're, we're grateful enough to have him in the community now. Um, after a lot of years and, and we have the chance to ask him questions. And so I'm not using that against him. I'm, I'm saying this is a great thing that he's here now. And so we want to ask him these questions. We want to get these questions to him. Maybe he's got answers and can help clear some things up for everybody. Yeah. I think you said it when you mentioned how this isn't any sort of attack on him. It's not anything that uh, any any accusations are being thrown around. I, I want to be clear on that as well. And I also want to be clear on the fact that he doesn't owe us anything, just like the police don't owe us anything. So any information that he gives, he's doing uh, simply out of the his own free will. And uh, without any subpoenas or anything like that, he's giving it to a community of people who are interested and determined to find out what happened to his girlfriend back in 2004. He doesn't have any obligation to even speak out. I'm going to add on top of that. He doesn't need to be on Twitter. He doesn't need to be vocal with anybody. He can run his own investigation, communicate with law enforcement, and look for her on his own time without talking to anybody. So it is very fortunate that this is happening right now. And a lot of it is due to the work that someone like MZ Gags has put into this. Right. So I hope this episode and, and the second part is uh, they're, they're taken uh, well. So I want to remind everyone out there, no harassment. Please be nice to each other. Be polite. Keep talking about Mora and about the case, but be polite and respectful to each other. It is very important. Okay, everybody. Thank you very much. Hope you enjoy these two episodes with Tara from North of the Border. Thanks a lot. Welcome back to the podcast, Tara, Ms. Gags. How's it going today? Hey, guys. Not too bad. How are you? We couldn't be better. Uh, it's so good to have you back. Thank you for taking the time to join us again. The last time we spoke, you had so much information that we weren't expecting. I mean, we were expecting you to come with information and be detailed, but you have just a, a, a wealth of information. And before we knew it, we had almost like touch that that hour mark and we decided that we needed to do a second episode with you so welcome back thank you so much 
Thank you so much for inviting me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I've been pretty um, hardcore into the Maura Murray case uh, for the last couple of months. I mean, I've been an active participant for a couple of years, but um, yeah, I've just been really digging in, I'd say for the last two months. Like, I mean, four hours a day, every day minimum. So I'm sure there'll be more info. Well, good. Yeah, you're doing a great job. You're uh, keeping an organized uh, sort of timeline here, and you've sent us this document that uh, that we've been looking over and uh, and going over. So, well done on that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. So, one of the things that I I noticed that I had never picked up on um, before, because one of the things I was doing is going back through old articles. You know, they often say say there's a cold case and then um, a new detective takes over. I'm not saying that I'm a detective, but um, they usually start back at the beginning, right? And that's kind of um, your train of thought lately. You guys are kind of going back to the beginning and let's see what we've missed or kind of glossed over or didn't pick up on. And I found one of those little treasures. Um, I noticed in an article um, written by Billy Jensen, uh, the Boston Magazine article titled, Will the Internet Find Maura Murray? Um, he had mentioned in there that there was an original website that was created to receive tips, getting a word out, et cetera. And it was created by one of Bill's friends. I was able to determine what that um, web address was because that wasn't provided in the article. I think I sent you guys the link to kind of back it up. Um, and it was spbowers.com slash Mora Missing, which is now a defunct website. Um, and interestingly, after I discovered this information, John Smith tweeted something um, around July 27th asking Bill how he knew this Scott P. Bowers. He asked um, if they were just good friends or acquaintances. He also wanted to know why the original website was deleted and um, question why this particular person named Scott seemed to kind of ghost himself on the internet and delete all of his artwork, cart racing, um, pictures, etc. So yeah, I, f I found that to be interesting. I'd like to know um, the relationship between this gentleman and Bill and, um, you know, if any tips came in in the beginning, was this person forwarding to law enforcement? Yeah, those are great questions. Um, yeah, and I don't think I, I never heard that name until you mentioned it. Good work there. And obviously, I was familiar with uh, Billy Jensen's article, um, but uh, but hadn't really looked at it in a while. And so that's great. Exactly to your point, going back and looking at things again with fresh eyes. This is very important. It's, a, it's an important exercise. Yeah. And I don't think anyone's, you know, accusing anyone of anything weird with this. I think you're just asking questions. And I think that's important. Yeah. Now, another interesting piece is that John uh, Smith, the OG <laughs> um, in this community, he discovered that Scott Bowers was an artist and he had wondered if Mara Mora could have met Scott through the art gallery that she worked at. Yeah, that's a connection that isn't so far fetched if you're trying to, you know, put the, the two wrote together, uh, not in a relationship sense, but just in, well, how could these two people know each other and and we know Mora worked at, at the art gallery and now we know that this Bowers is a um, is an artist so you know you put those together and uh, it's not saying that these, this is totally cohesive it's just this is the thought process 
yes, very important to go back and revisit old articles. Uh, very important, especially if you're looking at articles written by people like Billy Jensen, who you know does their research and doesn't just uh, report on something to get the scoop. Um, he, he did that article and it was more of a um, uh, exploration into a, into the psychology of, of people looking into uh, people online, looking into uh, Moore's case. Um, but I'm, uh, I'm curious how, well, I guess you kind of said it. I just want to be clear about it. How did Scott Bauer's name come into uh you know, a hundred percent accuracy that this is, this is connected to him. How, how it, it, where's the, where is that connection? So I'd say two things. Um, first, the, the initials of or his initials are in the website, SP Bowers. Um, and secondly, um, John Smith looked into it and I mean, he's a former PI. So I'd, I'd like to think that he knows how to get that kind of information, but also Bill did comment on um, John's tweet and had indicated that he was a friend of Bill's um, and just kind of left it at that. So there is a confirmation. Okay. Interesting. So then probably not a connection through the art gallery, but who knows? That'd be quite a coincidence, I guess. For sure. Yeah, and um, Lance, to your point, when you're talking about um, Bill Billy's article um, and, and the psychology looking into it, I, I, sometimes I feel like there's some kind of psychological experiment going on right now with us all involved in the case. Do you guys ever feel that way? Every single day. There certainly are elements that sometimes appear like someone is... Uh distracting on purpose and almost putting people through uh in exercise in distraction yeah at this point it wouldn't surprise me if it came to light that some government organization uh who is doing research on how to better solve cold cases invented this whole scenario and and directed us in very subtle ways to look into it. And then they took notes and we were sort of their lab rats unbeknownst to us. And it, and it comes out later on and, and we're like, wow, that, that makes sense that it was the department of uh, Homeland security or something, or the department of justice. And we were just this uh, cog in a, in a giant uh, gear works of, uh, of, of an experiment to solve crimes. One other thing that I found going through some old uh, articles and posts, et cetera, is um, I, I wondered who Bill was driven back to the airport by um, once he completed his search for Mora. I noticed he made um, a few calls to an Avis car rental place. I think it's calls 530, 531, and 534. So I was wondering, did he have to rent a car to get back to the airport? And the only reason why I ask is because I feel like he seems to be relatively forthcoming about other names. Um, but on Twitter, he had commented that there was a person, in quotations, that drove him back to the airport. So who was it? So I'm, I mean, who knows? I'm just kind of putting together, oh, did he call Avis to put together a car rental to get back to the airport? Because we know his parents had um, driven up there and picked him up originally. So I guess I just thought in my mind that his parents would have driven him back. But then I saw the car rental and wondered, huh, I wonder who this person is that drove him back. Right. Well, that's interesting. So the, the 
numbers that you're talking about, 530, 531, they are to a Springfield, Massachusetts, Avis car rental place. Mm-hmm. So how close is Springfield to anything that's important in this case? Do you guys know? Amherst. It's very close to UMass, Amherst. Um like 20 minutes, maybe half an hour at most away. I think if you're going to rent, if you're a, in Amherst and you're going to rent a car, you're probably going to do it through Springfield, Mass. Okay. And then, so I think one of the calls around that time is, um, or sorry, is is the roaming calls indicate that they were, um, maybe him and Bob McDonald had gone to Amherst to look through Mora's dorm. So maybe that would make sense because I think um, Rob McDonald, the professor, went back on Thursday the 19th. So maybe they were inquiring about the car on the 18th. Yeah, the, these calls were on the 19th. And if you look at the phone records, it's um, the the Springfield number is called twice in a row for two minutes and uh, a, a span of six minutes apart. And then there are two incoming calls. One is for one minute, which I think is just registering the call. And then there's a three-minute call, which is probably a, the voicemail of that same phone call. And then that same Springfield number is called back for just a minute. Uh, so it's curious to me if that's the, that is the number to the Avis rental um, facility, rental, rental car facility. Um, I'm, I'm curious about the length of time that one was on the phone when it's two minutes, two minutes, the voicemail is three minutes and then the callback is one minute. That's certainly not enough time to rent a car. So maybe, um, yeah, I don't know. I Why mean, not, there's, though? I mean, that could be just one a quick, minute. Well, there's a couple, there's a couple of calls here. One minute, two minutes. I mean, it could be just a, uh, yeah, I need to reserve a car. I'll be down there in a half hour or something. It could be. I know that they, the phone records will automatically register one minute when, um, when the other line is picked up. So, a one minute call is essentially it, it was, it was, it stopped ringing and it went to an answering service. That, that's just how it strikes me. I don't know. I've, I've rented a few cars and, and I've always called and it's always been well, well longer than, than two minutes. Unless he is, you're right. Unless he did just call uh, the first time and went to an answering service and then he called back. Someone picked up and he said, listen, I'm, I'm coming down. Do you have any cars that, that are available to rent? And then uh, they called him back and spoke for three minutes and said, yes, we have a couple of these types of cars. And then, you know, could be that, that he called back or something. I don't know. I'm yeah. just saying the duration is a little bit, uh, it's it's very short. For, it's short. For it's short. But there's two calls there. Well, there's there's three, uh, two, two of the Avis, and, and two of them are two minutes long. So I don't know. I, I think it's enough time to be like, all right, I'm coming down there. But yeah, I, it could I, be. Could I do be. want to point out that there are now, anyway, enterprise rent-a-cars in Amherst, Massachusetts. So at least now, I'm not sure when they were there. Yeah. Right. So when you look it up on um, the the tool that I use is called Spokio. So you can um, input someone's name, um, address, telephone number, whatever you have, and um, it'll um, give you a history. Like this number was attached to. Um, this particular location and it will give um say 16 years ago so i've done that um quite a bit with a lot of the phone records and found some interesting stuff and this 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 particular number was connected to avis 16 years ago is it also connected to is that avis located in a la quinta hotel Hmm. i don't know i'm gonna have to look that up i think if you just simply um i think i did a uh, a google search of avis car rentals 
Springfield, Mass., and what came up was one that was connected to a La Quinta hotel with that number. It makes sense. A lot of uh, people traveling will, you know, the the hotels that are close to, um, like if Springfield is is the only place that's close to like an airport or something, they would have some sort of rental car uh, option. Let me just say, this is the one right near Union Station, the, the train station too. Oh, okay. I'm writing this down. Yeah. Okay. So that makes sense that the rental car place would be at a hotel because people would be traveling on the train. And then if they're staying at the hotel, then they would have a place to rent the car the way it would work like near an airport. Yeah. There, there is a look into there. Yep. And it makes sense because I know um, the professor said that his wife had gone back um, on the Monday. So then he would have been there without a car, assuming she drove the car home. And I'm not, I'm not saying when I brought up the La Quinta, I'm not saying that I think that anybody was staying at the La Quinta. You know, I was just saying for those who are going to look up rental car locations in Springfield, they're going to see that this one is connected to a La Quinta. For sure. And I hope after our discussion and some of the points that we bring up, I hope that people do dig in a little bit and see what they can find. So, yeah, back to Mr. Uh, Rob McDonald. So we know that he was Bill's history professor at West Point. We also know that Bill was no longer at West Point as he was stationed in Oklahoma. So apparently they were friends outside of school. Um, Bill's communicated that um, online. Um, and Bill and Mora had met the McDonald's on a few occasions. Um, the, this is what strikes me as odd. Um, there's two calls during the billing cycle provided from January 23rd to February 22nd. Call number 347 is on February the 9th at 7 p.m. for 34 minutes. The second call is number 506 on February 13th at 2.28 p.m. for 20 minutes. So the reason why these calls are peculiar to me is because in the entire billing cycle, Bill only calls Professor McDonald two times. So the first time on February 9th, Bill was talking to the professor for 34 minutes from 7 to 7.34. And this is, I guess, right around the time of Maura's disappearance, right, on the 9th. Yeah, it is. Um, I think the the cell phone records are central time. So so if if that says 7 p.m. to 7.34, it was really 8 p.m. to 8.34 on the East Coast. So that means Maura had just disappeared. Like literally just disappeared. Yeah. yeah. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is made possible by PwC. It's getting hot out here. Moving the mercury can help move your business. PwC helps turn sustainability theory into real-world action. Reduce your carbon footprint while increasing transparency in net-zero commitments. Start with reporting to identify your climate risks and reinvent your business. Create a more sustainable business and a stronger planet. It's all part of The New Equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. Thanks to our sponsors, and now we're back to the program. Yeah, that's it's just odd timing. And then the other thing that's odd is, so Bill has stated um, a few times online that he didn't find out that Mora was missing until um, February the 10th around supper time. He recalls receiving um, a phone call from Fred Murray while he was eating dinner, advising that Mora had her car 
was in an accident and uh, she was missing. So I just think it's odd to get the call or to, for him to call on the 9th, the day this happened, but the 10th is when he found out. You see where I'm going with that? I, I, I'm, not, I'm not entirely clear. I just think it's weird. Like if, so we know that Rob and Christine went to go help Bill, but where's the call that Bill has made calling Professor McDonald asking him to come and help? Yes, because that long call was on the 9th, and we know that Bob and Bill and Bob's wife were all there together. So at some point there had to have been a call made, is what you're saying. So if he had just talked to him the night before, and then he finds out the next day or the the next evening, and Bob and his wife are able to make it to New Hampshire, then where is that call? And uh, they said they made it in uh, late Friday night, or it says late Friday. And this is from uh, an email that um, Professor Bob McDonald, obviously this is a professor of Bill Roush's from West Point, and, uh, and they helped in the search. And uh, this is from an email exchange that he and James Renner had. And he says, I was with Bill for all that time. My wife and I arrived late Friday and checked into the Wells River Motel, which is where everyone was staying. If my memory serves uh, correct, not 100% certainty, given that 14 years at the time of that writing had passed. My wife drove home on Monday. It was a three-day weekend, but I was able to get colleagues to cover my classes and didn't head home until, I think, Wednesday, the last day Bill and I drove to UMass and met with campus police. Afterwards, he drove me to Springfield, where I rented a car and drove home. Okay, so that that makes some sense that they would speak to campus police. Um, now the thirteenth. So if if Monday is a ninth, tenth is a Tuesday, eleventh, twelfth, thirteenth. What's Friday? I mean, it's Friday the thirteenth. Okay, so so you're right. So then. There should be a call in there saying, all right, Bob, like uh, whatever we talked about that first time, I don't know. But, um, you know, more is missing now. Um, we need, you know, I would love your help or, or, or Bob maybe reached out to him. The one thing about the phone records is you, you can't see incoming calls. So this could have been an incoming call to Bill um, from Bob. And also we don't have um, landline records, of course. So there's no telling if those calls were made that way. Right. And. And I don't know if there was any talk about whether Bob sort of vouched for Bill so Bill could get his leave. So maybe what I'm saying is Bill calls from a landline and and explains the whole situation and Bob agrees to help. And maybe Bob, just with his position, says, you know, if you need me, I can I can I can say, you know, I'm going to be with I'm going to be with Bill. Uh, you know, this is all legit. Maybe I can vouch for you. You know, maybe maybe that went down and and it went down over a uh, landline exchange. Yeah, that's certainly possible. Although I do, upon looking at his phone records, there's there's quite a few calls and not a lot of breaks for that to happen. It's certainly possible. Yes, yeah, so you're saying that he's used his cell phone so much in those days that when when would he have or why would he have changed to use a landline for some reason? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, I wonder how he. I wonder what he used to call his his superiors. Yeah. Well, there's definitely some some calls to um to Lawton in those days. Oh yeah. Yeah, so I think it could be in those. Um 
Yeah, I, I'm not, I don't want to get into um, names and, and who I've discovered are associated with certain numbers. I think people can do that on their own. But um, yeah, he definitely made a lot of calls. Um, and, and I mean, he got emergency leave in record time from my understanding. Any research I've done on obtaining um, emergency leave, it sounds like you know, usually it's not that quick of a process. So I think that strikes the community as odd, some in the community as odd. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I, do, I have no experience on that. Yeah. I, yeah, I know that, um, he, I know what he said, uh, about it. That's, that's basically all I know, but it sounded like from what he said that it was just a couple of phone calls that he made. He made one to like his, his boss and forgive me if I'm getting the, the titles wrong, but, and then he, uh, and that, and that guy said, uh, it doesn't sound like you're, you know, you're going to be able to get emergency leave. And then Bill asked to talk to his commander and then he called him and actually was able to sort of, uh, tell him and explain to him the situation and was granted the leave that way. And then apparently there was a signature, uh, that was made somewhere. Uh, so I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah we, I mean, especially we, because they weren't married, right? Right, they weren't even engaged. They were engaged to be engaged. All we know is what we've been told and just the research that we've done with how one goes about obtaining leave from 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 the military. And he did it really quickly. And, and it's impressive how, how quickly he did it. Um, I believe he said that when he spoke to the, the highest-ranking uh, officer— that he that person ended up calling him back right and told him and and so he he was sort of like you know well let me let me uh let me let me think through everything and and I'll and I'll call you back and he called him back and said that he was uh granted the leave so maybe it was just a slow time there and they they didn't need him or something i don't know but from everything that we've looked into it's uh it's really difficult to get leave especially if there's no actual emergency it's not like she was in the hospital or you know we we like you said we didn't even know that she was really missing because initially the police thought it was a dui walk away right right so she was technically unaccounted for at that point but that was before 24 hours so she's not technically a missing person right right yeah it just seems odd to me it stands out and bill found out through fred yeah, so right. um, that's what he said. He said that he, um, I did ask him on Twitter um, that crazy long weekend in July when everything exploded on Twitter for those 48 hours. Um, yeah, I did ask him who he found out from, and he said that he found out from Fred. And then since then, there's um, a few uh, statements of his that have been compiled online. I think it's by... Bulk or Finn, my apologies for if I don't have that right. Um, but yeah, some of his statements have been compiled and, and that's what he said that he found out at supper time um, via phone call from Fred. Now, when you look on uh, Reddit um, and you go back, there are, I won't name names, everybody can look into this themselves, but uh, a couple years ago, someone had said um, that they they were told that Bill found out from Kathleen, Mara's sister. So I'm not sure 
I mean, I guess you just got to take Bill's word for it, but I, I wonder why the conflicting statement. Yeah. So that, that one, I'm sorry, I, I guess it, so it was posted on Reddit, but that was from someone from Bill originally or from just from a poster from two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. But where so did I, that I person, say, where did that person know. go? Yeah. I don't know that. I Okay. Wanna... <laughs> yeah. No worries. Um, yeah. That's interesting. I don't know. It's hard to say when, um, when when you don't know uh, where they heard it from, because if it's Bill having a different uh, story, that's probably more interesting, you know, and and maybe it's just a memory, you know, a faulty memory after all these years. Yeah. And I mean, it has been a long time, so certainly that's possible as well. But I do think it's fair to ask these questions and, again, want to point out no one's accusing anyone of anything. No one's harassing anyone. That is not uh, something that we choose to do or partake in. Absolutely agree. These are just questions that I've written down. I have a whole notebook since I've been, you know, digging in and I have lots of questions. This is just where I started. Great. Um, Another phone records related question that I have is, um, is it, has it been confirmed that Mora did not have roaming charges on her phone because there aren't any showing on her bill? I am unclear on this uh, detail. No, it, it, it has, your question is, has it been confirmed that she did not have roaming charges? Right. No, it, it has not been confirmed that she did not have roaming charges. So it is entirely possible that she did have roaming charges. Right. So I just think it's weird that um, there aren't any on her phone. Right. If she left Amherst and the accident happened in um, Haverhill? Haverhill? Averill, yeah. Averill. <laughs> Would that not show up? If, uh, sorry, if what? Yeah. So she, she left UMass and, and then she's in a different uh, state, right? Right. So that, yeah, that no, would that, show that, up on your roaming. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And then we know her last call was at about 4.37, I think. Um, and then did she shut off her phone? I think that's the speculation, but I'm not really sure either i'm not because another thing is the that londonderry ping right i don't know how they would have known or anyone would have been able to uh triangulate that if morris phone was off maybe i'm wrong on that i don't know these details but yeah and that's where i was going next like it, it just i don't know something seems odd there to me do the police have the roaming charges that's a no. good question there was a page that I think we're all missing the public anyway is missing. Um, but, uh, I, I know the police have said that they have it. Um, and then I'm not sure if it was put out at a later point. I can't really recall the details there. Yeah. So I think originally, um, page nine was missing and then, um, page 25 of the roaming charges. The only copy that I've ever seen is like, a. Someone's taken their phone and taken a picture of their computer. So it's not the same page 25 printout as the other 24 pages. And those are of uh, Bill's roaming charges. Okay. Interesting. So, yeah, I don't know. I just think it's interesting that her roaming charges aren't available. Yeah. And where would that screenshot have or picture of the screen come from if you don't mind yeah no that's a great question i have no idea i mean bill's um always said that he is the one that provided them so my assumption is is that it was from bill um but i don't know 
for certain. Okay. And so the, is that the entire page, though, that you've seen there, or is that just partial? It does look like it's the entire page. Okay. Um, and then there was some discussion and talk on, <clears throat> excuse me, I think Twitter about, you know, add up the roaming charges and, and see if they match the total that was given on the bill. And when I added them up, the roaming charges equaled, I think, 132 minutes, and that's what was stated on the bill. So it doesn't appear to have a discrepancy there. When a person goes missing, their loved ones often find themselves overcome with worry and grief. Bruce Maitland started the 501c3 nonprofit organization Private Investigations for the Missing because he knows this feeling all too well. When Bruce's daughter Brianna disappeared in March 2004, he was surrounded by licensed private investigators dedicated to finding her. Now his mission is to provide dedicated private investigators at no cost to other families of the missing, desperate for answers but without the financial means. Private Investigations for the Missing needs your help. To read the mission statement, make a donation, and keep up with our blog, visit us at investigationsforthemissing.org and follow us at PI for the Missing on Twitter and Facebook and Investigations for the Missing on Instagram. Because forever is too long to wait. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. <laughs> 